Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, Fourth Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors keywords 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Key Hyundai, best of new inventory, all with great warranties. Fabulous pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And a great service department backed up by fabulous technicians that take care of the life of your investment, your vehicle. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, keywords 11 and 15, almost worth online at sunburymotors.com. Mitch Tischler of NBC Sports Washington in a moment, but first our play-by-play call of the day. The defending national champions, South Carolina stays unbeaten with a school record 36 win. And they are back in the final four. Indeed they are, and you know what? They've got Iowa coming up. Caitlin Clark is, as we know, terrific. She's played a couple of games in the Jordan Center the last couple of years, so she's a a special player. But South Carolina has size. In the four NCAA tournament games, South Carolina has 80 offensive rebounds. All right. Mitch, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. I wasn't so happy to hear... uh... That South Carolina call because I'm a Terp alum, and last night was a tough night for, for the Lady Terps. But you know what? Brenda's done a great job with that team. They gave South Carolina all they could handle last night. They did. I mean, you know, taking the lead uh, at the end of the first quarter gave, gave everyone a little uh, false hope that South Carolina team is going to be tough to beat. That's all right. And you're going to get Jameer Young back next year, too. So there you go <laughs> on the men's side. That. Yeah. All right, Mitch, uh, you're talking about two billionaires whose combined net worth is $11.3 billion. Uh, what's the thought? I know Snyder would like $7 billion. These guys say they want to give 6 What do you think? Well, I think actually today um, Adam Schefter tweeted that about, you know, the two, uh, the two groups of billionaires, the Josh Harris-Mitchell Rails group and the Steve Apostolopoulos group, as they've submitted fully funded $6 billion offers. I think the most important part of that tweet, though, was that that they met Dan Snyder's asking price because all along there's been talk that Dan Snyder was going to try and sell the team and that he was entertaining offers, but there's no talk about what that asking price was and kind of what that bottom line number was that was going to get him to sell. And there was a lot of thought early on that that number was closer to $7 billion than $6 billion. So. Um, you know, to get to a point here where there are official offers, uh, there are official bids in for this team, and we know what the asking price is and kind of what the bottom line is for Dan Snyder to sell, I think we can all uh, kind of look at this as this thing is very, very, very close to being done. And I expect within the next month at, at, the, at the most we'll have, uh, we'll have news of an official deal being done. 
All right, before I get to that last part, Harris, you just talked about your turfs. Harris is a Maryland guy. Uh, just having somebody that is at least attached to the area, what can that mean if it were to go through? Yeah, um, Josh Harris went to high school right down the road from uh, where I grew up, so certainly uh, have, have read into him and, and learned enough about him. Certainly it's important, and you want that to be the case, but you can also look at you know Dan Snyder, who grew up in the area as well, actually not yeah. too far away from where Josh Harris was, and he was a huge you know, then Redskins fan, and that was, you know, all part of him wanting to buy the franchise uh, for, you know, record price at the time. And I think that fandom might have gotten in the way a little bit where, he, you know, he got a little too excited and got himself a little too involved in the football side of things, you know, before everything else went off the rails. I'm talking about early in his ownership mm-hmm. group. So, you know, yeah. I love having a guy that's tied to the area and Josh Harris and, you know, Mitchell Rails run, you know, one of the biggest uh, companies in D.C. So you have mm-hmm. two guys who, who have real ties, you know, to the, to the DMV area. Um, but, you know, there's, there's positives and negatives that, that go along with that. But uh, I, I think it'll be, good to, uh, it'll be good to get a little new blood in Ashburn. Emotionally, what would it mean to the fan base to see a change in ownership, regardless of who it is? Oh, I mean, I don't think there's there's enough words to describe how excited this fan base would be. I mean, I think this fan base is a sleeping giant, and you can talk about, you know, how much the fans have gone away over the years and how, you know, uninterested they are in, um, you know, going to Commander's games. And you've seen over the past, you know, decade-plus how other teams, you know, take over FedEx Field when uh, when the Commanders play. I imagine that the second that this sale gets done, opening day at FedEx Field will be sold out. Um, fans are talking about wanting to have a parade through the streets of D.C. You know, I think this is a this might be a bigger moment in the history of the Washington Football franchise than you know when they won the Super Bowls. I think this is a there'll be a reemergence of you know one of the best fan bases in football turning back into just that one of the best fan bases in football. What would it mean the possibility within the next few years of getting a new stadium by having Snyder out of the way? It'll go a long way. I mean, um, he was clearly having uh, no uh, no real um, progress with any of the Maryland, Virginia, or D.C. Um, you know, D.C. essentially was unwilling to even – discuss it with him about going back to RFK Stadium, which is, uh, I would imagine, most fans' preferred site uh, for the new stadium. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity uh, in the DMV to create a, a great um, football stadium, and that wasn't going to happen with Dan Snyder at the helm. So, you know, the second that, uh, that this deal gets done, that's going to be the, the very first thing I imagine the new owners are going to have to you know, start figuring out how much money they're going to spend, where they're going to spend it, and uh, and what they're going to do. But, you know, there's going to be a, a world-class stadium in and around the DMV in the next uh, five to ten years, and uh, it feels comp- I feel confident saying that uh, with a new ownership group. I wasn't so confident uh, when Dan Snyder was at the helm. Yeah, because I know he talked about Woodbridge, Virginia at one point, the Virginia legislature wouldn't even listen to him uh, about it. And let's face it, most legislatures listen when the NFL calls. <laughs> so, 
as we know. And, and the Virginia legislature had done a lot of business with the commanders over the years. Um, yep. the, the, the then Redskins had, had training camp down in Richmond, and there was a big tax break for Dan Snyder and the football team, and they redid their headquarters. Um, they, did, they redid a big portion of their headquarters up in Ashburn in northern Virginia. And um, it was it was shocking when Virginia wasn't even willing to come through with real money uh, with real money. And that location down in Woodbridge would have been the death of this franchise because that is the arguably the single worst stretch of ninety five traffic traffic wise um, you know along its entire corridor. So it would have been it would have been a real tough spot down there. And uh, I think ultimately had he stayed if he stays owner had he stayed owner that uh they would have ended up back in landover maryland where fedex field is right now because they just would have had no other no other uh option do you want to know how well i know that two of my children teach in the woodbridge school district (laughs) so So you know it well so i know it well dale city woodbridge know it well (laughs) and that's that that stretch of road you can, actually, you can be humming along, and all of a sudden, it's time to get off at Lorton <laughs> and yep. start picking your way through the back roads. <laughs> time to bail off onto Route 1 and, and pick your way through the traffic lights in the back roads. You, you got it's, that it's right. incredible. You got that right. Know it well, Mitch. Know it well. Dan Snyder's also been known to be a very stubborn man. So are there some thoughts that, great, he's going to get our hopes up again, and then he's going to say no again? Even though there's a lot of pressure on him, he always seems to like go to the heck with pressure. Yeah, I mean, you said stubborn. I, I've been saying persnickety has been the <laughs> adjective I've been using to describe him. You know, the biggest holdup right now, I don't even know if it's a holdup, but the biggest uh, question mark right now is that he lobbied the NFL um, for uh, indemnification of any legal issues that arise after he, sell, after he potentially sold, which essentially means he's asking the NFL – uh, to put any prior legal issues that um, he may have put the team in on the new owner, which is you know rather asinine in the big picture, and especially when you think about how much money the new owners are going to be are going to be spending. But he's he he made a formal request with the NFL and to uh, you know uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell to uh, to be indemnified against anything that you know the Virginia DA or you know, uh, or, or the Maryland district comes up with as far as whether it was, you know, the uh, whether it was whether it was the financial proprieties or any other issues. So that's something that I think that he is going to, you know, hold on to and, and hope and pray that that he can make happen. And if you want to talk about hiccups, I would say that's the biggest hiccup is, you know, the the Virginia district attorney is investigating uh, the alleged financial improprieties. If at any point they bring a bring a case against Dan Snyder, they could freeze the asset of the Washington of the Commanders and not allow him to sell until after that's figured out. Now I imagine there's a lot of backroom dealings and discussions happening, and I think as long as the sale process continues along the way uh, that it's going, I don't expect that to be an issue. But you know, when you have different law enforcement entities and you know folks looking into your rights and wrongs from you know more or less 25 years, there's always something that can pop up and and create an issue. So, you know, as as much as it feels like this thing is very close to being done, I won't, you know, I won't be, I won't, I'm not holding my breath until every, every uh, 
I's dotted and T's crossed. Plus, there's also an NFL investigation into him as well. Not just not just the congressional; it's the Mary Jo White um, investigation. She has right. not and put out. She has not put out any of her findings. It's almost like I feel like the NFL is playing a waiting game, using that as a chip to maybe force his hand. Like, okay, we'll back off on this if you get rid of the team. Yeah, I think you can look at that uh, like we just said uh, about the backroom dealings and whatnot. You know, yeah. I'm sure there's a tacit agreement um, between you know the NFL and Mary Jo White commanders that as long as this thing continues along its path and you know ultimately gets to the gets into the end zone, that uh, you know the findings from that won't come out until you know until that until a sale uh, potentially happens. I mean. You know, we were we were talking about on our uh, podcast today about um, you know Dan Snyder being persnickety or difficult or whatever word you want, but you know he's he's a he's a he's a cat that's slowly walking towards the uh, walking towards the exit door, and, and you don't want to spook him or do anything to you know to change the the direction that this that this sale is going, and I think that starts with you know the, with that Mary Jo White investigation. Um, which is not a, a, a legal investigation. It's a. That's right. They, they, they're looking for background to potentially vote him out, um, which the NFL needs. Uh, three quarters of NFL owners would have to vote to kick Dan Snyder out to force him to sell. I think they don't want to go down that route unless they have to. And you know that that Mary Jo White investigation is kind of a an ace in the hole that they can that they can break out if he starts backing off or you know, pointing towards not, not agreeing to a sale or any of those other things. I will end it this way. I like persnickety. That's good. I wish I'd said it. <laughs> you're well, you're, it's not trademarked. You're welcome to use that. <laughs> Thanks, Mitch. Mitch, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for all the great information. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. All right. So you didn't think I knew anything about the commander situation, did you? Oh, I knew you did. I mean, just I mean, every time I turn around, I mean, I swear you just try to do these things <laughs> just to see, you know. We've had a lot of extensive conversation about that. Yeah, but all of all of our conversations have been about it, with you saying he's stupid. I hate stupid. That's usually our conversation where I have to listen to that part first. Well, this is true. But I still know you how you are at the knowledge there of the of the situation down there. Yeah, because I'm usually just sitting there listening to you. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. We still have to get your rant of the day. We'll save that for the final half hour. Because I'm sensing you're gearing up. Oh, I have been, and once again, it's going to be something that not, maybe a certain a certain Penn State uh, part of the Penn State fan base won't want to hear, but they need to hear it. They need to hear it? Yes. Oh, by the way, speaking, I want to slip something in before we take a break here. This is just terrific news, right? On a personal and professional basis, and it does deal with Penn State. Um, L. Bud Tolman, 
who was here in the 80s, 90s, and to 2001. But before that was at Navy when Roger Staubach won the Heisman Trophy. Bud always used to tell me this great story about they had to get the Heisman Trophy back. So Bud had been out of town, and he went to the grocery store. He says, and this was back in the day, this is 1963, where they would bring the bags out to the car for you. I know it's kind of hard to imagine that right now. right? And so he opens up the trunk, and he tells the guy, he says, he says, where do you want me to put him? He says, just put him in there next to the Heisman. That <laughs> was great. Bub was also with the Buffalo Bills for years in their heyday, including, obviously, the years when when O.J. Simpson had some great years, all right, including the 2,000-yard season. And we all know if you mention the name O.J. Simpson, what everybody thinks of. But as a football player, O.J. Simpson was a great player and the first one to go over 2,000 yards. And when he cleared 2,000 yards at Shea Stadium against the Jets, there was still about four minutes plus to go in the game. They carried O.J. off the field, and they brought him down into the visitors' locker room. So Bud, of course, being the publicity guy for the Bills, had to go down to the visitors' locker room. And it's just he and O.J. together, and a photographer came in, and Bud always had this great picture of he and O.J. together in the locker room getting a picture right after he broke the 2,000-yard mark. And then from there he went to Penn State. And after working seven Super Bowls, and Bud worked seven Super Bowls, I believe that was the number, Penn State plays in the Fiesta Bowl, and they moved the game to January 2nd. Well, the Fiesta Bowl people were just... Sitting there saying, hey, guys, you know, how are we going to handle this? They said, no problem. We've got L. Bud Tolman at Penn State. Penn State's in the game. We have him. And he was the principal organizer about how to handle a game like that. And it was a big plus for everybody um, in Tempe that he was there. Uh, it made a big difference. And, yes, full disclosure, Bud is the one that hired Jack Ham and me. All right. Well, it was announced this week that Bud Tallman is going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And for everything that he did, you know, with the Bills, the Super Bowls, everything else, but Bud Tallman is going in, I think it's July 28th. But he is in. And it is so richly and deeply deserved for a guy who has great, great Penn State ties. And he's going in with with some other guys like Kevin Byrne and some people like that. But Bud, uh, I can tell you without question, this is the best in the business. Best in the business. And I am so thrilled for him. And I did get in touch with him, and I congratulated on him on it. But I wanted to mention that because at some point the show is going to take a dramatically negative turn here. I'm a pretty positive guy. So I thought before the break we'd leave you with something that would put you in a good mood. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Mm-hmm. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I. 
just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections. Quick Lane, 6.30 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 6.30 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the mm. out of auto repair. Well, a trip to the Bitterness Cafe, where today the feature is the Scorched Earth Burger. I always like my beef, so there you go. In many different ways. Believe me, it sizzles. It's burned on both sides, but not really fully cooked. I always go with it medium well, so it's just a little bit that's still left. (laughs) I have no words. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. For those of you driving, I hope sincerely you're you're buckled up for safety reasons and also for what's about to happen here on the show. In fact, some of you may want to pull over. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, best in new inventory, great pre-owned inventory, with just great warranties, and also a fabulous service department. that brings with it great technicians do great work for the life of the vehicle. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Time now for the Scorched Earth Burger, today's feature at the Bitterness Cafe. Will I have a job when this is over with? I just want to know. Oh, yeah, you will always have a job. Well, that's that's well, never so. in question. <laughs> okay. That's never in question. Just want to make sure. I mean, it's yeah. like it's, I mean, it sounds like 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 you're ready to just let people have it. <laughs> I I do somewhat question the job of a certain columnist that I I will leave the name out. Who put something out there today saying Penn State basketball searches in a holding pattern, and if a certain coach declines, I'll leave the coach's name out for purposes that you know for Steve that cannot comment on at this point until. Everything's finalized. Well, whoever it is, 
if a starting coach declines that apparently Penn State's in negotiations with now, it's fallback time. <laughs> I, I don't understand why this is like an all-or-nothing type thing. No, well, it's it's not. That's all. It's just saying that if you make if you decide that there's somebody you'd really like to get, and then you negotiate. And say, for example, you're negotiating and it goes well and you get them. Okay, fine. Say you negotiate with them and you know what? In the end, they decide, eh, I don't know. You know, because, you know, they've got a life. So they have to figure out what they want out of it, what job they want. Then you do have to go to, okay, now you go to the next one. I'll try to think which coach it was. Oh, who was it? And I remember, and this is recent. He was the fifth option, right? The fifth option. And this guy ended up doing really well. And I can't remember his name. I apologize. But he was not options one, two, three, or four. Sometimes it just happens that way, Matt. Sometimes it just happens that way. So I wouldn't blame the reporter or anything like that. It's not an all-or-nothing scenario. You know, at some point you pick out the person you think is going to be the option you want to go with. But they have to agree to it, and that means you do negotiate. And you know, I mean, usually, a lot of times the negotiation goes well. Sometimes the negotiation is like, yeah, you know what, I like your, what you're offering, but you know, I, you know, it's it, it just depends on everybody's personal preference as to how they want to do it. And like I said, this one guy, literally, geez, I want to remember his name. I'm knocking my head here. The guy was like the fifth option. Like really. And he's, and he's doing great. I mean, sometimes that happens. I mean, it does. You know, it doesn't matter what option you are. It just matters if you're the one that ends up getting it. That that's true. But I think to... I know that's true. That's why I just said it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but what? Let's look at the quote fallback that it would be. As I said on the show earlier, when Micah Shrewsbury left, you have a guy right now that you can use, that players have publicly advocated for, that's not really been seen in college or professional sports. Hey, we love this guy. This guy should be hired right now so we can keep things going with Adam Fisher there. You've never seen that before. So here's a quote from Nate Bauer, who I think is spot on with this. Hiring a top assistant with outstanding relationships and experience isn't really a fallback, including and especially among donors and Penn State fans who've been lobbying for Adam Fisher to get the job for the past five days. Thank you. Wake up, people. Once again, calling this fallback is oblivious to the fact of who you and ignoring who you think, have right now. I think it's just an expression. So I, I would not penalize somebody for using it. I think it's an irresponsible expression. No, no, no. It's just an expression. Just, okay, just, just slow down. It's only an expression. And, yes, you can elevate an assistant. There's no question about that because it has happened. Just look in the Big Ten. Which assistants have been elevated? Tom Izzo. Let's start there. Okay? There you Greg go. Gard, Greg Gard at Wisconsin is coaching in the NIT tonight. I did text Matt LePay, by the way. The uh, play-by-play guy for Wisconsin. I said, at some point, you need to leave the blackjack table for the arena. Because <laughs> 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 right. um, it's at the Orleans in in Las Vegas. Ah, there you go. But yeah, Tom Izzo elevated head coach. Okay, Greg Gard elevated to head coach. 
Chris Collins had been an assistant coach at Duke, head coach at Northwestern. Ben Johnson had been an assistant coach, now the head coach in Minnesota. Jawan Howard did not have head coaching experience. John Jawan Howard was an assistant coach with the Miami Heat and now is the head coach at Michigan. That's five guys in the Big Ten that just off the top of my head, uh, their first head coaching job happens to be the head coaching job they have now. So it's not out of the realm um, when you sit there and look at a job and say, hey, look, could the assistant do it and be successful at it? Well, Greg Gard's been successful. Tom Izzo's been successful. I think Juwan Howard's been successful. I mean, Chris Collins has, has brought them to two NCAA tournaments, and you know Ben Johnson's only finishing up his second year. But off the top of my head, I just picked up five guys just in the conference that have done that. So it's not out of the realm. Yeah, and those are all right. great coaches. And, two, let's say if he were to come into play here and take over, you've got – I mean, you mentioned yesterday, Steve, you have the international um, uh, tournament that they're going to play either – when in one of the it's islands. An, it, it's in August. Yeah, yeah in August. Yeah. So and that will help. I mean, that's going to help. Absolutely. You're going you're, you're to be bringing in different different groups of people here to, to make it happen to build your roster. So you've got that. But then also, you have already have the backing of your locker room. That's the most important thing. When you bring in a head coach, you have to win over the locker room, get guys to buy in to what you do. That's already there with this Penn State team. Well, right now you only you have four guys left. I think it's I, I I get that, but I still think it's something that it can that can be built upon, even if it's only that few amount of guys left. Sure, I understand. I know what you mean. And look, and Adam is as fine an individual as I have been around in my life. I've known him for almost twenty years. Right, and he's in a great family. He is an excellent coach. All right. I've I've watched him break down tape. I have watched him do scouting reports. I've watched him implement it in practice. I've watched him in, on the practice floor, everything. All right. And there's no doubt I have nothing but the highest confidence in him. All right. So, I mean, so just want to say that about him so everybody at least knows where I'm coming from. Right. With him. I'm not advocating. My job is not to advocate for anybody. I'm just responding to what you were talking about. Exactly right. Yeah. So this brings me to my next point here. The whole there's I'm not saying it's everybody, but there's a certain part of the fan base right now that needs to get itself off the ledge. Well, it's, you know, look, it's look, you just went to the NCAA tournament. Okay. You had 6.63 million viewers for your NCAA tournament game against Texas on a Saturday night on CBS. You have gone through a season where you were able to get to the tournament, win a round in the tournament, get to the second round, and there was a lot of excitement and momentum around the program. Right? I got that part. Right? And then you feel like within a span of 72 hours, that momentum was blunted. Okay? So I understand why people are upset. I understand why people are are anxious. I understand why people want to see a resolution to this as quickly as possible. Uh, Because, you know, and I I have complete and absolute uh, understanding for how they feel about this. 
and they want to be able to move forward and they feel like, okay, you've got recruits decommitting, right? reopening their recruitment. You've had other guys put their names in the transfer portal. And at the moment, at least at this hour, you have four scholarship players that are still on the roster. Okay. That's why people are anxious. That's all. They're, just, they're anxious. Yeah? And there is a process that takes place. And believe me, Pat Kraft has been incredibly diligent about this. I mean, just, I mean, he's, he's throwing his heart and soul into this to do what he thinks is best to move Penn State basketball forward. Because, look, any good athletic director understands you need to be great at football and you need to be as good as you can possibly be in basketball. And this past year is a shows you why, for example. Penn State in football sold out the stadium, won the Rose Bowl, you know, and has a lot of momentum moving forward with the program with a lot of young players, which I'm going to go see here in about half an hour as we're going to practice again. Um, and I'm going to go to that first, likely, before I go to your event. Uh, so <laughs> and uh, And... And then in basketball, you felt like you were getting the same momentum, and then all of a sudden this happens. Okay? And, you know, when you're sitting there and something like this happens, like, oh, we just got going. Okay, I got that. Okay? But now how do you how do you recover from it? How do you move forward from it? Right? It starts with hiring what they think is the right person to do it. It starts by putting a structure in place that's going to allow them to be successful. You know, they've had now significant discussions about name, image, and likeness moving forward. So there's a lot of things going on because the last six years do show you what Penn State basketball can be. And what Penn State basketball can be is that in the last six years, they won 20-plus games, won the NIT in the 18. They won 20-plus games, and they were probably going to be a, a probably, I'd say, a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament in 20, which didn't happen. And this year, they won, ended up winning 23 games and ended up being a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. Okay, so that's that's three significant steps in a six-year span. It t- tells you what Penn State basketball can be. Now the finance is part of it, right? I did say, I saw Pat Saturday night. Uh, I saw he and Betsy. And look, there's no way in heck... I made any suggestion about what to do. That's not my spot unless I am asked. Simple as that. But in general terms, it was brought up, the topic of this. And I, all I said, Pat, this is obvious, you know, because we were talking about the money part of it. And I said, yeah, I said, like any great business, you have to invest money to make money. He says, exactly. So he understands that part of it completely. Uh, because the investment in basketball, I'll give you... Uh, I'll give you an example of it. Number one, they made the tournament, and they got to the second round. Well, that's $700,000, and it rolls into six years' worth of units, which is $4.2 million that goes to the Big Ten and gets distributed. Penn State's out there, you know, in this particular year, did its part. I mean, did its part, and they'll get shares of it, out of it, but they did their part rolling into six years, and they want to keep doing their part. Um, and and 
that's what you want to keep happy because the excitement around this was great. As I mentioned, uh, the the tur- the tournament rating on it, they got six point six three million viewers for the Texas game, and the numbers were comparable for Texas A and M. And that's just a fact. That's what it can mean for you. Um, Attendance-wise, you want more people in the Jordan Center. They averaged 9,200 per Big Ten game. Uh, With the one sellout, that was at the Palestro, and they sold it out at 8,700. So they averaged 9,200 for Big Ten games. Overall, I think it was 7,800, something like that, for the season. That includes matchups with the you know, Quinnipiac at four thirty in the afternoon when it's snowing. Delaware State at two o'clock in the afternoon when everybody's on break. You know, things like that. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. But it tells you what it can be. And I'm not saying the Jordan Center is going to be sold out. There's no way I'm going to tell you that. Not especially not for weeknight games. I mean, it's just. A, I mean, I've been in that building since 1996, since day one. I mean, I know what the deal is. But it doesn't mean you can't have really good crowds in there because they did have four crowds this year of better than 10,000, or at least tickets sold better than 10,000. So it tells you what it can be. That's why, in the end, you do look at it and you say, okay, what can Penn State basketball be? We saw at least signs of that this year. Absolutely, and that's why. Now, you, you, now, I'm not necessarily blaming the fan base here for being gut punched over this because I, I I totally get it. I've I've been in those shoes with my teams that I root for, but we're coming to a point where we're getting off the rails a little bit here and realize what exactly what we're talking about here, what it can become in the investments that are there already. Everybody wants to keep throwing Pat Craft under the bus. But guess what? It's not factually correct. As we talked about yesterday in the show, Steve, the NIL money, which is the big sticking point here, is there. So it will be there for the next head coach, it seems. They've made steps in that direction. There's no question about that. But they also understand now the urgency, I think, more of a sense of urgency of it. Because you have to remember, the the leadership team that is in place now has only been there since July 1 of last year. Um, so there's there's a lot that they inherited that they've had to work through, and you know I think you have to keep that in mind. I mean this is not this is not his tenth year as the athletic director, and it's not the tenth year for the management team. It's not. I mean we're talking about nine months. Yep, absolutely. Uh, to this point, I think people uh, forget that too. And so look, this. Let them go through it. Let them hire it. Then you can move forward from there. You know, whomever it happens to be, and let them build the staff, and let them re-recruit players, and let them then go into the transfer portal, and let them see if they can somehow, you know, get commitments to, you know, to come back. I mean, it's it's all part of the process. They're just not to the finish line on the process yet. Uh, and you know. I've I've had people say, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Going, yeah, I'm fine." <laughs> it's like, hey, look, what do you want me to do here? Oh my Almighty! Hey, <laughs> did people not, not hear the... the Auburn football story? You cut in the grass day of the game. I mean, come on now. 
I mean, what, what am I supposed to do here? I mean, it's not like this is the first time they've changed coaches since I've been here. This will be the eighth head basketball coach I've worked with. Okay? Uh, so it's like I know there's a process to it. All right? I know there's a process. And so we just, you know, I, I let people play it out. And like I've always said, and I've told everyone, hey, if you need anything from me, just let me know. If they don't, they don't. If they do, they do. So, you know. And this guy that they're supposedly talking with right now, I don't even think he's the right guy for the job, to be honest with you. I think there's better well, candidates out there internally and externally. Well, it's a matter of opinion. We'll just see. Let's just see how it goes. All right? Let's just see how it goes first. Then we'll talk about it later. How about that? Yeah. That's fine. But I just I just had to get that off, off my chest because we're, we're seeing borderline ridiculous reviews of how things have gone. I mean, you just, can be you can be gut punched, okay. but let's move away for, from the ridiculousness okay. of this. Okay. Just remember, a lot of the people that claim they have inside information don't. <laughs> I've got, you know, I talked to the gardener. <laughs> it's like, okay, good. Okay. Uh-huh. Take my word. <laughs> okay. Take my word. So, I've got people telling me. <laughs> okay. You don't mind if I don't listen, do you? <laughs> Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. I know you're shocked by that. But, okay. But, geez, $6.63 million. The bummer was the was the wrestling tournament. It was down twenty eight percent. That's the lowest. That's the lowest since they had four hundred fifty four thousand. That's the lowest since twenty eleven. Yikes! I don't know. Maybe maybe some of that had to do with the fact that Penn State was in the basketball tournament, so maybe it siphoned off. So I don't know. Now they didn't put out the streaming numbers. But, see, I'm not big on the streaming numbers because, say, Matt, you go out and you're wrestling at 125 pounds, and I'm waiting for you to come up. Boom, I go in. Not there. Okay. Five minutes later. Nope, still not ready. Boom. Five minutes after that. Nope, not ready. Boom. Yeah, Five minutes should, after that, not ready. They should fix but that. Not, yeah. not many. All of a sudden, I go in ninth. On the ninth time, finally, you're out there on the mat. That counts as, see, nine times. And like, no, it's not nine times. They, they left. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll wrap it up in a moment. 